0: The partner for this episode is North Spore Mushroom Company. You may know I'm a big fan of mushrooms. I love eating fresh mushrooms, but really love the benefits they bring to permaculture designs, including how they cycle nutrients, maintain great soil, and utilize the shadier parts of home gardens. Great for experienced cultivators and beginners alike, North Spore Mushroom Company has everything you need from bulk priced sawdust, plug, or grain spawn for your larger permaculture projects, to outdoor log inoculation packages for any type of garden enthusiast. Northspore even has indoor grow at home kits that help introduce mushrooms to kids and convert mushroom phobes to fungi fanatics. North Spore is extending an offer to the Permaculture Podcast listeners on their web store at northspore.com. Plan ahead for next spring's projects and use the code permaculture at checkout to save 10% off your entire order. Oh, and visit their Instagram page for some great mushroom growing tips and advice at North Spore Mushrooms. You'll find links to their web store, Instagram, and a reminder of that discount code in the show notes. If you enjoy this podcast, have you made a one-time donation or become a Patreon member? I ask because for all the episodes released so far, totaling millions of downloads and listens, this show has been supported by under 500 people in the last six years, an average of less than one per episode. Will you take today to make a difference for permaculture? Make a one-time donation online by going to paypal.me/permaculturepodcast. If you prefer to send something in the mail, that address is The Permaculture Podcast, PO Box 16, Dauphin, Pennsylvania 17018. Or, if you prefer, you can become an ongoing Patreon supporter and receive unique rewards for your monthly contribution. Find out more and sign up today by going to patreon.com slash permaculturepodcast. This is the Permaculture Podcast. I'm Scott Mann. In this episode, guest host David Bilbrey sits down with Jacqueline Smith, the founder of Central Grazing Company, to talk about her entry into the world of animal agriculture, after having no previous experience with farming, or even family ties to a farm or the land. From there, they then talk about Jacqueline's experiences building up Central Grazing Company using a slow money loan, into a regional farm-to-consumer business. They close with her mission of using animals, agriculture, and enterprise to create regenerative ecosystems. Enjoy this conversation with Jacqueline, that starts with David's introduction, and I'll join you again after.
1: Hi, this is David Bilbrey with EcoThinkIt.com and the Permaculture Podcast. And continuing on the slow money theme, today we're going to take a deep dive into a farm and company that has both used slow money loans and been part of the movement to create regenerative businesses. They not only raise their own lambs, but have a, have created a successful brand, Central Grazing Company, that markets and distributes lamb for themselves and 10 other shepherds. They founded their company with some simple goals, to raise lambs ethically according to the highest animal welfare standards to regenerate grasslands by producing climate benefiting food and fiber to create economic incentives for independent regional or organic farmers to provide living wages for their workers and to build a traceable supply chain i'm talking today with jacqueline smith the founder of central grazing company and a board member of slow money northeast kansas jacqueline lives just south of lawrence on a 150 acre farm jacqueline welcome
2: Thank you very much. I'm glad to be here with you today.
1: Yeah, so I'm glad we finally got uh, time to sit down and talk. We've been talking about doing this since last year, I think.
2: Yes, <laughs> I think we met the first time at a slow money gathering of some sort. I can't remember which one it was.
1: Yeah, so um, yeah, I've talked with Nancy Thelma in Northeast Kansas and met uh, Woody Tash last year and did an interview with him as well. So um, I've really enjoyed all the conversations with the slow money folks. So I'm looking forward to this today. And you're the first one with a farmer and a person who has used a slow money loan. So I'm excited to hear uh, this side of the, the transaction, if you will.
2: Yeah, how it works. That's the big question. How does this thing work?
1: <laughs> right. So uh, to start, why don't you tell us a little bit about kind of how you got into being a, a shepherdess
2: a shepherdess yeah
1: <laughs> if that's the correct word
2: yes that's exactly right so i don't come from any kind of agricultural background in fact my family growing up they were in construction they're contractors generations ago they were in they were teamsters and even the longest path that we can trace back from our family none of them were ever in agriculture so when i got out of high school or college was college And told my family that I wanted to get into agriculture, especially raising sheep. It was quite a shock, I think, for everyone. And I never imagined that agriculture could be a career path. It wasn't something that, you know, you sign up for those tests in high school to kind of help guide you in your decisions of what you're going to study in college. And agriculture was never one of mine that, like, popped up as something that I could do. But I always loved working with my hands. And my grandmother was really into horticulture and had a beautiful garden, and I kind of took after her in that regards for understanding kind of the biology of plants and really being fascinated by how um, nature kind of healed and worked for itself, but one thing that really disturbed me when I was younger was how the animal industry, especially with big agriculture, was really geared towards feedlots and CAFOs, and being from a non-agricultural family, I didn't understand that there was an alternative path. So I set out on that path to like figure out how what I could do to like help change some of those animal welfare problems that existed in the animal industry. And at the same time of graduating college, I met my former business partner, and she also had no business background in agriculture. But we decided that it would be a really good idea to start a sheep dairy. <laughs> so it took us a very long time. I, that started around 2000. And um, we sold our first piece of uh, sheep smoked cheese. Because we, we started the sheep dairy north of Kansas City. And we made handcrafted sheep smoked cheeses and sold them regionally as the company grew. But we had no idea how to do it. So it took us eight years to like learn how to become businesswomen and farmers and marketers and all the things that go into building an entrepreneur Kind of business structure. And yeah, that was like my first taste in, in sheep. We had zero experience with it, but we just kind of learned as we went.
1: So that's a different business completely than Central Grazing Company now?
2: Yeah, it was my first step into agriculture. And so we went with Central Grazing Company, is that after my first company, the sheep dairy, kind of grew, we started to work with other farmers, other shepherds in the area. And in Missouri, where we founded this sheep dairy, when we founded it, there was just one sheep dairy in Missouri. And by the time I left that company, there were 10. So we had grown the kind of the sheep dairy industry, you know, by a lot for Missouri standards. And all of the, the farmers that we worked with had never been in the sheep dairy industry. And so we, we really worked collaboratively with them, teaching them how to become sheep dairies and navigate the the laws around good milk practices and all that stuff. And then what ultimately happened was that, you know, all of those farms started to have a substantial amount of lambs. And these were good farming practices. These lambs came from good farming practices where they were all certified animal welfare approved and all on rotational grazing systems. And they were all ending up in feedlots. Going back to my original reason of why I wanted to get into agriculture I found that we were actually contributing to this problem. And I knew at that time that it was a responsibility that I needed to figure out a way to get those animals out of that system and into a better system. So I talked to my business partner at that time and and told her that I wanted to start Central Grazing Company. And that was in 2015. And I just started buying up those lambs and processing them through to the natural food market and thankfully we had some really good responses to the products that we were putting out there and we were able to kind of grow fairly quickly and get our product out so from 2015 to now where our products are located in about i think they're in like 30 states and we also sell them on amazon and through our website
1: that's fantastic so i'd like to hear more about how you created that distribution network but first how did you go from just being a lone shepherdess and making cheese to teaching all of these other farmers how to do the same?
2: Well, because we, we learned the hard way of how to do it. I mean, in this kind of niche market that, we're, that we were in, the, the sheep dairy industry, and then also now even in the sheep, the lamb meat that we're producing and lamb products we're producing – It's very niche and there's not a lot of information about how to become a sheep dairy or how to start these kinds of businesses or where to go. And so, you know, when you're in that model of just kind of learning yourself, you gain a lot of information very quickly of the right path or the wrong path to go down. And so we created these uh, almost handbooks that we handed out to other farmers and we really worked closely with them and, and told them what we learned so that they could kind of have a shorter curve, learning curve, to get to a point where they're actually producing milk. I think this is kind of how it happened. Another farmer saw what we were doing, and they could see that it would help diversify some of their, what they were offering on their own farms. These are small, diversified farms. and They wanted to add another revenue source. So they approached us and asked us if if we could buy their milk from them if they were able to do a sheep dairy. And we said, yeah, we're at a, a phase in our growth that we needed more sheep milk, and we're ready to take on more production, and, and it kind of worked out naturally at that, that point. So we really worked collaboratively with them to teach them how to become sheep dairy.
1: And those are the same um, shepherds that you're buying the, the meat from now?
2: Yeah. My producer partners have also grown. So it's those were my founding members, and now i have including more people who are outside the sheep dairy. So I've got people who are still in the sheep dairy industry and some who are just raising lambs for meat.
1: So you created a whole like supply chain of farmers to create meat for your company to distribute before you knew you were (laughs) building that. That's a happy accident.
2: It was a happy accident. But before this happened, it was a huge problem to me. It weighed heavily on my heart. And, you know, we were actually doing something that was uh, detrimental to at least my personal philosophies of getting those animals out of the feedlot. So it was an opportunity, yes, and a good opportunity, but also responsibility to change that.
1: Right. came from that desire to do something about that problem. That's, I, I got it. And turn into something that was beneficial for everybody. That's great. So how did you transition from, you said, north of Kansas City to Lawrence, Kansas, which is west of Kansas City for people that aren't from the area?
2: Still in the area, but a little bit different. Well, I have a the time, my, my oldest was two years old, and we were living kind of in a more it was an older population and I needed to get them to, you know, have a better quality of life for little kids. And so we chose Lawrence because it's got good schools and a good, a good place to raise a family kind of. And uh, so that's why we chose this area. And our farm is just uh, about 16 miles from Lawrence. So it's a very easy for us to get in and out and kind of have that city versus farm life that we, it's a good mixture of, of little town and, and country life for us.
1: So in 2015, you decided to start Central Grazing Company. Did you use Slow Money Loans immediately? Tell me about the kind of the, the process of founding Central Grazing Company.
2: Yeah, well, surprisingly, this all came together at the same time. So in 2014, Slow Money had a national gathering in Kentucky. And I had kind of heard a little bit about Slow Money. I didn't know what it was really and what it was about, but I knew... I was interested in what I what I knew of it and as a entrepreneur looking always looking for ways to grow our company you know money is kind of hard to come by sometimes especially when you're starting out and you don't have a lot to capitalize on so I went to the national gathering in Kentucky in November of 2014 and that meeting really kind of changed the philosophies that I had surrounding money and instead of money becoming something that was hard to come by or sought after or almost had a negative connotation in my mind, it changed into a positive tool and one that could really change lives, essentially. And it could be used for positive change and really influence outcomes. And so on the drive home from Kentucky with this idea that this responsibility that I had to like fix this problem that kind of sowed the seeds that we needed to start Central Grazing Company. So when I quickly got back to Missouri, I spoke to my business partner at that time and told her that I thought that this is the new path that we needed to be on. And by July of 2015, I had started Central Grazing Company. But when I got back to Missouri, I contacted Nancy Thelman, who you have also spoke with, and she's the She was at the time the leader of, she still is the leader of Slow Money Northeast Kansas Network, which is just a network of slow money. And they had these entrepreneur showcases that they were just starting. So I submitted an application and my application was accepted. And the application was to get the seed money to start Central Grazing Company. And so I was one of the first entrepreneurs for their first annual entrepreneur showcase. And it's kind of, I always like to kind of think of it as a, it's like a very friendly shark tank. You, you have these entrepreneurs who stand up in front of a, a room full of potential investors, local investors, and you pitch them your idea. And if there's somebody in the audience who likes your idea, or if it was connected to your idea, then there's like this matchmaking that happens at the end of the showcase and it kind of. You start building a relationship with them, and if if all things go well, then you can make a deal for a small local loan. And so, when I pitched my story and and the idea of starting Central Grazing Company of trying to solve this problem for these lambs, and and the good thing is I already had a customer who was interested in this product. So there was even though it was a very new idea, the the risk was a little bit less than if there were no customers involved. Right. And someone came up to me at the end of the showcase, and and they ended up giving us a $5,000 loan to kind of start Central Grazing Company. And so with that $5,000 loan, we were able to run our first processing of lambs and, and get labels and get packaging and start sending it out to our cons- our new customers that we, that we had. So that was essentially the very beginning of Central Grazing Company. So I received that. The showcase was in February of 2015, received the first loan in April, and we officially launched in July of 2015. So it happened pretty quickly.
1: How did you create the brand and the logo and all of that?
2: Well, the brand, you know, that came from a collaborative work with my sister-in-law. She's really kind of talented and she's able to help with a lot of the marketing aspects. But, you know, my background previously, building a company that from scratch that we had no idea how to do it and having a long learning process really gave me a lot of insight into how to maneuver the supply chain, the national supply chain, how to gain customers at the retail level, level how to you know market directly to your niche market. I came with knowledge about how to kind of create from scratch these kinds of business structures. So Central Grazing Company was able to kind of latch on to what, what I had already learned starting a business in the sheep dairy industry.
1: Oh, okay, so that's another benefit of that long startup period of your first business in the sheep dairy. That It's amazing how much you learned in that process. That accelerated what you did with Central Grazing Company by, I would imagine, quite a bit.
2: I think so. I think it did. It was really the fortunate lessons that came with me from doing that. It's, I mean, it's very hard to start a company. It's very hard to be an entrepreneur and have these ideas and trying to get it to market. It's very difficult, and we were fortunate to have some knowledge about how to make those shortcuts happen.
1: You've obviously been a connector and a teacher here locally. Is it something you've thought about to, to teach other people in many regions, how to put together some of these really key pieces in building a, an agricultural business that's viable?
2: Yeah, I'm, I'm very interested in that. I think, you know, I've only done agriculture in my, as my adult career and, Never been in any other kind of industry, which is really kind of funny when you think about the fact that I never knew I could be a farmer or be in the agricultural business. But this is all I've ever done, and I'm I'm part of the local kind of food movement in Lawrence and the surrounding areas, especially through Slow Money. And I see a lot of people with these brilliant ideas for helping to secure food systems and being innovative as entrepreneurs of how to grow um, regenerative products. And I also see that there's this lacking of business structure, business mind behind it. And I often think this is a very generalized statement here, but farmers tend to be farmers first and business minded people second. And it's amazing to me how powerful it can be when a farmer realizes that they're actually an entrepreneur that's in agriculture versus just being a farmer. And the business model of creating a sustainable business that's centered on agriculture. And I find that to be kind of lacking sometimes in education around especially local or small agriculture. Mm -hmm. And um, slow money is a tool that people can kind of learn to talk to investors to get their financials, their cash flow statements, their balance sheet, all those like probably not very interesting but very interesting to me tools together in order to like be a a powerful changer in in the local or sustainable food movement and um, business side is very important when you're doing that
1: that's one of the things that I, i think is interesting about the slow money movement is there's several of those pieces that kind of are built in like someone who is getting to know a farmer who they may invest in or do a slow money loan with may have business expertise that they can lend to that person because they're invested in their success. And so, yeah, that's great. And having you part of slow money is is excellent as well. I'm just envisioning courses and stuff, you know, on marketing and distribution you could do for people in other areas as well. Although you're probably plenty busy with what you're doing now in a brief way. How do you create a distribution channel? Because it's one thing to have a bunch of lamb to sell, but it's a whole other thing to have it in natural grocers and several of these stores that you've got it in now.
2: Yeah, you just have to build it slowly, unfortunately. So what we've done, one one thing I brought with me from my previous career in the sheep industry is that I had a really good knowledge about how distribution worked. Maneuvering the supply chain, especially the cold supply chain in the United States, is quite challenging and very difficult. As a small company, it's very difficult, almost impossible to compete with larger companies that are selling to grocery store outlets, either a customer or either a company doesn't have enough supply or are seasonal and can't have the supply on the shelves all the time. And a retailer can't have space on their shelf that's vacant at any time. And so a lot of times things go out of stock and then you lose the spot on the shelf. So having that consistent supply chain is really essential. And I knew that to form a really regenerative business for the Goals of Essential Grazing Company, we couldn't come from one farm; we had to work collaboratively with other small farmers so that we can have this constant supply of lamb that's being grown and raised and a regenerative farm, for a lot of definitions is a small farm because of how close attention to the soil that the farmer is is paying attention or giving the soil a lot of attention and you can't do that on a large scale agriculture but if These groups of farmers work collaboratively, then they can kind of pull their products together and be able to compete on a national level. So I like to think of Central Grazing Company as a co-op in spirit. We're not a co-op, but we work in a co-op spirit. And so we're able to kind of supply the national market with consistent product year round and i also knew that we weren't going to compete with dis- distribution because you lose a lot of margin when you start going to distribution and distribution when i'm talking about distribution i'm talking about a third company a third uh, a distributor who buys your product and sells it to the grocery store chain or wherever it's selling they take a pretty large chunk of that margin when in agricultural products there's a very limited amount of margin to be gained. And so we uh, designed a supply chain that we control ourselves. So we have a central warehouse that has a freezer and we do all of our own distribution. So our product goes from the processor who prepares our packaging, they're our co-packer, to our central warehouse, and then from our central warehouse directly to the customer. So it's not going to multiple points before it ends up on the retail shelf, it's just going from three points. From the processor to us to the customer, and that shortens that supply chain a lot, and helps us retain more of that margin.
1: And so, I would imagine that enables you to pay the the shepherds a, a more fair price for the for the sheep.
2: Yeah, actually, that's exactly right. So we're we're able to capture a little bit more of that margin in those monies that we we gather from that those sales. Um, go back to the farmer's hands. So I'm a firm believer that the only way that we can really create this regenerative world that we need to create is by making sure that more money ends up in the farmer's hands. I mean, that's just good practice for <laughs> so many levels, building you know, local economies and building better, stronger supply chains and really taking care of the soil in ways that we need to. The more money that goes back to the farmer, the more incentive those farmers have to do practices that gain those Higher values in the marketplace. But only that is getting into more of the lamb meat mm-hmm. industry. There's a lot of things that I learned about lamb that I didn't know before. And some of those things are that there are a lot of products that can come from an animal. And prior to starting Central Grazing Company, all of the sheepskins, for instance, all of the sheepskins that were coming off of the lambs at processing were ending up in landfill. And it's not so much an issue when you're only processing, you know, 10 or 15 lambs at a time, but Central Grazing Company this year is going to be close to 1,500 lambs that we're going to put through processing, and that would be 1,500 skins that would just end up in landfill. So we started to take those lamb skins and cure them and tan them through a vegetable tannery, and now we're coming out with this whole heirloom leather goods product line that's going to be launched in March of 2018, March or April. And so all of those revenues that we're getting from those leather goods will then also filter back down to our farmers. And those leather skins will also be able to be traced all the way back to the soil. So we're essentially creating products that will have really good traceability for carbon sinking. So these products are basically raised on carbon and I'm pretty excited about
1: those. That's great. I mean, that's an amazing, like, spin-off product line. And I would think that maybe the margins on that would be even higher than, than meat. Uh, or do you know yet for sure?
2: Well, we're still doing some of the costing, but it seems to be that they're going to be very in line, probably a little bit more than the muscle meat. And so it's a product. The leather is a byproduct of... The meat industry but most most of the time what happens in the leather industry is that these leathers these skins get picked up they get shipped off to a central location somewhere in the united states from a slaughterhouse and then they could either most likely get shipped to china where they get tanned and then shipped back to the united states and s- tracing that global leather textile is really impossible and there, are, i've heard some statistics that there are like 20 points of distribution in the leather industry. So there's no way for one for the end user to trace it back down to the soil of the farmer. It's just impossible.
1: Become part of the slow clothing industry. <laughs> Which I know little about, but there is there that is an emerging thing as well. So tell me a little bit more about what it means for you to be a regenerative business.
2: Fundamentally we're a regenerative agricultural business. But to be a regenerative business it takes on multiple different levels. You know, part of that is making sure that the animals have good, common, peaceful lives, that we're not exploiting them for our own comfort and food and nourishment. It means that we're paying really close attention to the way that we're treating the soil so that we're building soil fertility so the soil can actually do its function of of helping to balance our carbon cycle. It means that we're creating local and regional supply chains that build the local economies up. It means that we're paying our our workers a living wage, and that we're paying our farmers above fair prices, and that we're using supply sources that are located in the United States. And yeah, that's pretty much in a nutshell, just what being a regenerative business means.
1: And also, part of your your five goals were to regenerate grasslands by producing climate benefiting food and fiber. So, talk about what a regenerative grassland is.
2: Well, that's paying close attention to the soil and making sure that, you know, the soil. I, I kind of like to think of ourselves, this might be kind of silly, but as soil advocates, because in a little tiny bit of soil, there are more populations of microbes than all of the humans on the earth. And those microbes are so essential for healing the soil in a way that we can actually grow new soil or create new soil and the healthier the soil is the more healthy our plants and our pastures are and through natural photosynthesis for example plants are able to take the carbon that is out of the atmosphere and put it back into the soil and carbon is essentially extremely necessary, as you know, and your all your listeners know, to having healthy soils. So we've lost so much carbon in our soils that in some places there are no more tillable soil left. And creating grasslands that are covered year round have the ability to become carbon sinks. And so using omnivores in this natural ecosystem helps to grow these really powerful carbon sinks.
1: So, tell me about your farm south of Lawrence. Did you purchase that farm in 2015 and move there, or how how did that process work?
2: Yeah, we were looking for different farms in in Douglas County and and Lawrence, and we were able to find a really nice kind of corner farm, and it was in hay at the time, which um, I knew that I immediately needed to start grazing sheep on. And even though hay fields are really depleted in a lot of organic material because... The hay is grown and then cut and then removed from the pasture lands all the time. It's never able to like compost back into the soil, which is essential for growing regenerative soils. So I knew that it was going to be, we're going to have to do some work on it. But I also knew how powerful sheep could be or animals could be on helping to heal the soils very, very quickly. So I chose hayland versus cropland because there was just one step above being able to start rotating sheep on it immediately. And we found this really beautiful small acreage and then brought half of the flock from my previous business over with us. And we just immediately started rotating it. And it's it's going through evolutions. It's been fascinating for me to watch how the soil and how the grasses are changing every single year we've been grazing. And this is going to be our third season grazing there. But the first season, it was terrible. Like, I had a really challenging time getting even to September with my grazing flock because of just how poor the soils were. But then the second year, we have been a lot better. And in fact, we're still grazing now and it's almost December, you know, we're still grazing our flock and we won't have very much longer to graze because we're almost out of the space in order to graze it. And then, but every single year it's getting better and I can see the transition of the grasses from where they were, not so palatable grasses. And now there's a lot of more, I mean, we are planting clovers and other things in the soil as well, but the clovers are starting to come up better and stronger and have more population of clovers that are really necessary to kind of grow muscle meat on animals pretty quickly. But the way that we rotate our animals is we rotate them in a portable electric fences that are powered by battery and solar when these little solar charges and we move them every 24 grazing hours and then our goal is to not put them back on the same place of land for 90 days there's this really long rest period followed by a quick It's kind of like mob grazing and then a long rest period. And so that allows the pasture, the grasses to grow really long root systems that can tap down into groundwater in times of drought and to help really kind of become sponges in times of heavy rain so that the grasses or the the pasture doesn't become inundated with a lot of uh, moisture. And this year, we're on about a 65-day rotation. That means that we're grazing and then we have a 65-day rest period. And then we graze again, whereas the year before, it was was about a 43-day rest period. So we've gained some days from the two years of our grazing system, which is excellent.
1: That is great. That's exciting to think that, you know, in five or ten years, you're just going to have this richer and richer land and higher quality product as time goes on, which is the exact opposite of industrial farming, where they're destroying soil and seeing it float down the rivers and blow away in the wind. So that's really exciting. And so as your soil gets better, then you have more nutrient dense meat and it's just a virtuous cycle that just continues to improve. And not only do you have all these nutrients, but you've got a much more drought resistant or drought resilient farm as well in business.
2: Yeah, exactly. It protects the cycle from the climate changing and The way that we're farming with giving back these incentives to our other shepherds and other farmers who are working with us encourages them to also have the same kind of practices as us. And so now there's these 10 farms that are all doing this type of farming practices that are going to give them ultimately better revenues in the long run and protect them more for when drought or floods come.
1: Is it just a matter of knowledge and doing things differently, or is it really a lot more difficult to to do things that way?
2: I don't think it's the lack of knowledge. I think farmers are very knowledgeable about soil health and what the soil needs. But I think this problem is tackled on multiple different levels, from lawmakers changing policy to support regenerative agriculture practice. It comes down to investors taking their money and putting it back into the soil through investing in companies like Central Grazing Company that's really closely watching soil and and working to improve soil health. It takes brands, large brands, cleaning up their supply chains and making sure that they're purchasing from regenerative sourced um, raw materials. And it takes entrepreneurs to be an innovative in creating products that directly benefit the soil. And then it takes all of us as consumers to make sure that we're educated and we're advocating for the soil and we're urging our local and state and federal lawmakers to support farm bills that support regenerative agriculture. I mean, it's, it's multi-leveled. I don't think it comes from a lack of knowledge of what we need to do. I think we know what we need to do. I think we have the capability of doing it. And I don't really f- look at it as, as a doomsday. I find it to be very, I'm very encouraged by this kind of regenerative movement and i know more products like central grazing company are becoming more accessible to consumers and I'm kind of building building this the blocks to get those businesses to kind of work together and share their knowledge so that other businesses can repeat the kind of market system that we have
1: so as a company is there a limit to how large you can grow? Like, would you, conti- would you like to continue to connect with more farmers in a wider area and, and flow it through the Central Grazling brand? Or are you interested in creating a thousand other farms in different regions that do the same thing and just kind of are connected through looser connection or through your teaching and training on how to do it? What's, what's your vision and how big can you be and still be regenerative?
2: Because we work in a very small, with very small farmers, like our farmers are the key here. If we're, not, if we're working with larger companies who can supply us with more lambs at one time, then we start to lose some of that regenerative edge, right? But if we can continue to work in this regional supply chain, and that means to, for us is that we have a, our central location is where our processor is and the surrounding area around our processors are where the supply chain needs to come from so that the animals aren't transported in long distances and because it connects those regions together in a, a more systematic way. But I can see those little populations of these regions popping up in other areas. Right now we're focused on the Midwest because that's where our business is. And the name of our company is called Central Grazing Company. So that gives us the location of the middle of the country. And there's a lot of, of room here in this grass belt that we live to actually make more regenerative companies so we're specifically looking to create these supply chains here but being a national brand for our products that we make
1: i could imagine you could connect connect with the same size of shepherds uh, doing the same practices but just connect with many more of them over time i mean is that a vision to be connected with you're connected with 10 right now, hundreds or thousands of them all under the Central Grazing brand?
2: Thousands of them seems really large to me. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I have this very arbitrary number of producing about 5,000 lambs a year in my head just because you know our quality of life and my family is really important to us too. You know, Who knows where we can go? The, the real big thing here is that we're, Central Grazing Company is a model so that other people can repeat this model. And if someone else takes the torch and are able to create kind of regenerative businesses over this proven company that has had success, then that is really where the power is.
1: So what have been some of the biggest challenges with building this company?
2: Probably working on the producer level as um, convincing producers or farmers or shepherds that they will actually receive some of the revenues from their value-added products. And over time, the producers that we're working with are seeing some of the benefits of joining Central Grazing Company. But it has been hard to find those few who want to take that initial risk of changing some of their practices to be able to join Central Grazing Company. Because we won't work with farmers who aren't animal welfare approved. the bare minimum, they have to be animal welfare approved. And on top of that, we're working on programs that will actually test the soil so that we can figure out how well our practices to heal the soil are actually working. We'll translate that down to our customers, too, so they'll know that purchasing this product has been able to capture so much carbon and and has built the soil organic material by so much. We're beginning those, putting those processes in place so that we can start recording that information. And all of those are commitments to the farmer. And unless the market is stable, a farmer's not going to invest their time and energy and money into creating a new product line. So I think that that has been the most challenging thing is to convince farmers that this market is legitimate.
1: That data that you're gathering, I can see as being very valuable as time moves on for a variety of purposes. So that's really excellent that you're tracking all of that, because as we look at how to do this globally, these local experiments, if you will, are going to be really important for how you scale it up or just get many more people to do the same thing. So that's great. So how much data do you have so far? Or when when did you start gathering that from the very beginning or just, just here recently?
2: We're putting some measures in place to begin gathering the data. Where we are right now is the infancy of this. Like we're having with our producers, like the producers that come into, or the shepherds that come into our program now, they understand that this is the direction that we're moving and this is the kind of commitment that they need to take. It's It involves workshops and education. So it's not just that we're going to their farms and collecting data. It means that they have to actually have hands-on, education and consulting, I guess, more than education about how to improve their soils. But the more that they do this with us, the greater the revenues at the end of the year for them, because we'll be able to capture all of the revenues from the leather line and selling the muscle meat and selling, we sell bones to other companies too. And like all of the revenue that comes from these animals will go filter back down to the farmers as long as they're part of this program. So we're working with a company which I'm sure or an institution which you I'm sure you're aware of called Savory Institute. They're launching a new program called kind of the Land to Market program. And our local hub is the one who's going to be facilitating some of this record keeping and the storing of the information so that Central Grazing Company can maintain a peer-to-peer relationship with our farmers and our and our shepherds. And Central Grazing Company is going to be audited for the soil compositions and have that data.
1: That's fantastic, so that's the the Allen Savory um, Institute? Yep. Mm-hmm. That's great, okay, so you're feeding into that larger that larger uh, piece of research as well. Uh, that's really exciting. It's just so amazing how many different ways that you're um, sort of stacked functions and just connections that have happened. I mean, did you ever imagine when you were just starting your first little lamb farm that you would be such a like a social social and regenerative entrepreneur that's like helping to regenerate not only the soil but the planet and spread these ideas that help many other people to do the same thing I mean it's really kind of exploding on you
2: it's uh, it's been awesome I love it and I am having so many conversations with at different levels. I'm talking about big levels all the way down to my neighbor about how this works. And, you know, Central Crazy Company, we're just since 2015, we're such a new, new company, but we're able to pay our bills. This is my family's income, you know, like this thing is working. And the more it grows, the more it's going to be that key for other businesses to look at, that they can be successful repeating this model. And that's ultimately the biggest goal. But to answer your question, no, I I did not ever think that I would be sitting in New York City talking with designers about lamb leather. (laughs) (laughs) I never thought that I would be trying to convince farmers who have wealth of knowledge to change their practices you know for this company and me having no experience in agriculture like i never knew that that was possible
1: and and these farmers have been doing it for 40 50 60 years sometimes i'm sure it's
2: generations upon generations yeah exactly
1: that's got to be interesting sometimes walking in as a young farmer and and uh,
2: <laughs> but a woman at that a room full of men
1: <laughs> that that as well right <laughs> So you started with your first slow money loan of $5,000 and then did did you have subsequent loans as well?
2: Yeah, that's the beautiful thing about slow money. So the entrepreneur showcase that the slow money Northeast Kansas puts on every single year, the majority of those loans, we're actually going into our fourth season. So all of these loans are really small. They're, you know, the largest loan that has come out of those entrepreneur showcases is $16,000. So they're very minimal loans designed to kind of help a farmer get started. They're mostly for farmers wanting to get started in something. But what happens of those loans is that the relationship starts to build. Your investors will talk to their neighbors and friends. Networks will open up. And there are other people who want to invest, And for an entrepreneur to think about it, that they're not asking for money, but they're providing other people a way to put their money in a a regenerative source. And so when an entrepreneur starts thinking about the fact that they're offering the service to people who don't have another way to put their money in a healthy environment, then the ask becomes not so difficult, if that makes any sense. And over time of building central grazing company, that five thousand dollar loan has generated close to three hundred thousand dollars worth of loans. And these are all very friendly. When I say friendly loans, I'm talking about their the majority of them are around two percent interest with good ways of some of them are deferred, some of them are in payment. I mean it just kind of come it kind of just grows naturally for the needs of the company at the time.
1: That's that's amazing and such a polar opposite of traditional banking and conventional banking in, in America and the world right now. So that's fascinating. And though small, it's powerful because look at these businesses that are being aided in, in getting started.
2: Exactly. I'll just start with small little loans. I, I mean, a, mo- a lot of our investors in the, South, the slow money Northeast Kansas chapter will say first thing, they'll say, I don't have a lot of money to invest, but I have some money. And that little bit of money can change a whole industry. And you just look at Central Grazing Company. We just needed to have a $5,000 loan to get started. And it's changed 10 other farm families' lives. That's really powerful stuff.
1: Right. And though slow money is not about return on investment per se, at least not in the traditional sense of having an exponential return, actually – over time, it really is. It, there is a lot more return than sort of meets the eye, right? It's, it's more than just gained interest. It's gained soil health. It's gained health of the meat and the products. It's an increased supply chain. I mean, just cutting out the middleman and you taking that on, I guess that's part of one of those keys to really having regenerative small farms you know, millions of small farms across the world is the farmers or at least one step closer to the farmer taking control of that distribution so that more money does go back to the farmer. So, yeah, that's the return on investment for the <laughs> culture and the planet is much higher than two percent.
2: Oh, yeah. But if you know, the an investor hopefully will have some financial return on their investment, too working in this way i mean that's the positive goal of this and when you're working with farmers or you're working with local investments investors tend to be a lot more flexible in terms and also on receiving their returns as long as the communications are open and you have an an honest communication with your between the investor and the entrepreneur then everyone is very flexible and so unlike a traditional bank where if unfortunately if uh business defaults on a loan it's it's very difficult for the company to like get back on its feet but with you working with in this kind of setting with open communication everyone's very flexible to make sure that business is successful i mean that helps with the whole spirit of regenerative businesses
1: right yeah it's a very very different relationship
2: you've got a team of people working to support this company not just one person
1: so for the young person that's wanting to get into the agricultural business either being a farmer or getting into it on the regenerative business side any advice you would have for how to uh how to get started
2: well i always tell everyone to access their local uh, slow money network because every network is different and they all offer different things but the people who make up those communities those slow money communities come with a wealth of information that's different than what you can get in any kind of farmer sector kind of area that one would go to get help. I mean, there's some really alternative thinkers in these groups.
1: Well, it's been so interesting talking to you today, and I've learned some new things, even though I knew a few things about your company already. So thanks for taking the time. In parting, do you have any final thoughts you want to share with us?
2: Because I'm an entrepreneur, (laughs) because I, I shamelessly, Market myself, I just want to put a little plug in there that we are doing a Kickstarter campaign this spring for our leather line. And so I just want to put that little plug in there. Just like us on Facebook or join our newsletter and you can get that information.
1: Right. And we will have uh, links in the show notes to Central Grazing Company and Slow Money Northeast. And so, yeah, we certainly go to Jacqueline's uh, website and subscribe. I'm sure she has a newsletter and then you'll know ahead of time when that fantastic purse and (laughs) lamb leather product is, is going to go be launched. So that's great. And and when it comes closer, we can, we can talk about that again as well. I'd be really interested to see how that process goes in launching that whole new line. Well, I look forward to seeing you again soon locally here. And uh, thanks again for the time and have a great day.
2: Thank you so very much. And that was
0: Jacqueline Smith of Central Grazing Company. Find out more about her and her work at centralgrazingcompany.com. In addition to a link to that, you'll also find information on slow money and other organizations and movements mentioned in this conversation in the resource section of the show notes. I'm thankful that Jacqueline joined David for this interview because of the way that a bit of entrepreneurial spirit, a small initial investment, and a good bit of effort can create an ethical company that aims for social and planetary good. We don't have to follow the existing models or old ways of being. If we want to make a difference, we can take stories like Jacqueline's as inspiration to give it a shot, try something new, and change our little piece of the world. I also always enjoy the conversations that David leads because of his interest in the intersection between permaculture, the land, and business, from his years studying our design discipline while also working professionally in the world of sales. How he asked questions like whether or not Jacqueline would want to take her company and make it a national brand or keep it regional. Would Central Grazing Company become an umbrella for others to work under, or simply as a model to create other regional farm to consumer supply chains? And how she became involved with and used slow money to build up Central Grazing Company. I compare that to how I probably would have spoken with Jacqueline if I were in the host seat. I imagine how I would have focused more on her background and the work that she did to transition to farming, the lessons that she learned from her first business, and how that influenced her ethical choices like ensuring all producers are animal welfare approved. David also reminds me that we all have a voice and a perspective, and it is in the dialogue between ourselves, Earth, other people, and the other than human, that a unique story emerges, that by having these conversations, we elevate ourselves and the way we communicate with one another, and live a rich, rewarding life of interconnectedness. If you're interested in starting a regenerative business, telling the stories of others, or finding your own unique narrative, get in touch. 717-827-6266 show at permaculturepodcast.com or drop something in the post. The Permaculture Podcast, P.O. Box 16, Dauphin, Pennsylvania, 17018. From here, the next episode, is my conversation with Emma Huvos about place-based outdoor education and her work at the Riverside Nature School. Until then, spend each day creating the world that you want to live in by taking care of Earth, yourself, and each other.